from Brazil about you. You're like, that's not me. Yeah, it is. I get a call from Tony Cook. Tony Cook told me to tell you thank you for what you have done to make it possible for him to go into Brazil and teach pastors and ministry students. I want you to look at a picture, couple of pictures. This first one is of the pastors that were gathering to be taught. And so you are impacting these pastors that are going out, not just to Brazil, but all over the world. And you thought you were busy. And, and so Tony's been there for about a week and a half, uh, I believe, and he's been teaching these pastors. They've been so hungry for the Word of God. And then he taught a uh, group of ministry students. That's the ministry students. So look at the impact you had this week. It's amazing. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes we... We get so focused and our heads are down and we're doing our life, you know, right here, right now, you know, everyday stuff. But we have opportunities all the time. You know, we are, we are sowing in to ministries all over the world that are impacting people all over the world. Even with these boxes, one little box. Each one of these boxes doesn't just re represent a child. It represents a family and a town or a city that that family's in, that is impacting them, which is impacting an even greater circle of people. So you are having an impact. Continue. Continue to pray. Continue to be available to God to do what He has for you to do and be what He has for you to be so that your impact for the kingdom of God will be ongoing. Amen? God is so good, isn't He? Well, this morning we're, we're continuing on. Um, we're going to finish up uh, with the psalm that we've been in, Psalm 91. We've been learning about what Jesus began to teach his disciples as they were moving from the, the uh, Temple Mount to the Garden of Gethsemane. In this time, it was, it, Jesus was very aware that he was going to have the last opportunity to teach his disciples before they experienced all sorts of unsettling things, difficult things, troubling things, where they would see him arrested, they would see him beaten and tortured. They would see him tried and found guilty and then crucified. How many of you know that was going to really, really cause some challenges for his disciples? No? Yes. Absolutely. These people were following Christ. They had given up a lot of things. They're following him, and all of a sudden they see him dead. They had heard. He said, you know, I'm going to be leaving you. But they couldn't begin to comprehend what this was going to look like. And when it started to unfold, it was terrifying to them. And Jesus knew it would be. It was going to have the possibility of causing great instability, great fear, in his disciples, and he began to teach. And, and this teaching that we've been learning and studying and going through in John chapter 15 uh, was the beginning of a series of teachings, but he was preparing them. You know, the Bible tells us we're not supposed to fear. But how many of you know all you have to do is listen to the news and fear is going to come at you? All you have to do is look around. Fear is at the door. But God has something greater to be in us so that the fear doesn't overcome us and overwhelm us. And so he began to teach, and he began to teach about fruitfulness and how important this was because he knew 
that they were going to face some things that were going to undermine them and, and begin to diminish their impact and impartation to people around them. And so he began to teach them about how important fruitfulness was, bearing fruit, that it brought great glory to the Father, that it, it was what he called and appointed his disciples to do. How many of his disciples are here this morning? He, this, is, this is what he's called us to do, to bear fruit in all seasons, in all situations, no matter what, because people are attracted to the fruit. It points to God in our lives. Jesus said, this proves that you're my true disciples by this fruit that you bear. And he began to explain to them that this fruit-bearing process goes through three stages. There are three aspects or parts to it, that there is a purging part, which is discipline in our lives. We're if you are disciplined and you go to the gym, you've got to stop doing some other things. You can't keep going to the donut shop, right? Or, well, you can, but you shouldn't. And so the discipline is you kind of realign your life. And when we come into the kingdom, this is a whole new kingdom, but we carry some baggage from before. The sin that was in our lives, this act of sin, God wants to purge from our lives because the product of sin is death. Jesus came to give us abundant life, and that abundant life is hindered by sin. And so he purges, he points it out, he, he informs us and, and helps us to recognize what sin we need to put away, and then he gives us the grace to put it away. Then there's pruning that goes on. That pruning is a cutting away of things, not sin because it's already being dealt with, but these are things of ourself and of the world, things that we've learned that we've understood, that we've made habits of, and we need to be able to cut them off because they are competing with our devotion and allegiance to God. And so the purging and the pruning are the two parts that what we're literally doing is making room for God to do more and be more in our lives than ever before. And then the third stage or third aspect is abiding. And Jesus said there are three parts to that abiding. And when we look at it in verse 5, verse 7, and verse 9, he, he says that we need to abide in him and he'll abide in us. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do? Okay. Again, God doesn't lie and he doesn't embellish. He doesn't talk evangelistically. Okay? He doesn't stretch the truth. Without him we can do nothing that is going to be eternal, that is going to benefit the way the things of God will benefit in our life. So we have to abide in Him. And when we talk about abiding, abiding is making our home. It's grabbing on to God, holding on to Him, giving Him all of ourselves so that He can give us all of Himself. The more of Him we have in us, the more glory is revealed. The Bible says it's Christ in us, it's the hope of glory. We're expecting the glory of God to be revealed in these days, in this season, before the return of the Lord. But the only way that's going to happen is we decrease and He increases. That's what John the Baptist said. He must increase and I must decrease. It's the same thing with us. We need to allow God to have greater, greater place in our lives. Not only do we need it, our families need us to, to do that. Our friends need us to do that. Our co-workers need us to do that. The people that we meet one time need us to be filled with God because we are choosing to abide in Him. We're choosing to hold on to God with both hands and, and not let go. 
one of the definitions of abiding is to make a home, or it's like a marriage. Now, I know when we talk about marriage in, in, in these days, marriage may last a month, may last a year, may last seven years, may last a dozen years, but it may end. Listen, God said, till death do us part. Because it's a covenant, it's not a commitment. And, and we understand that's what God says. Sometimes we fall short of what God says. God still loves us. Hello? What can you do that'll stop God's love? See, some of you didn't answer that because you're not sure, and I'm going to tell you the answer. There's nothing that you can ever do that will stop God's love. God's love is unconditional. He loved you before you loved him. He loved you and me when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The love we learn in this world is a conditional, transactional type of love. If you do this, then I'll love you. If you do what I want, if you give me what I want, if you act the way I want you to, I'll love you. But if you don't, then I'm going to withhold my love. God never does that. God will love us no matter what, but he will not love the sin because of what sin does to us. So we, we abide in him. He abides in us by his spirit. The second aspect of abiding, giving ourselves completely to him, and we abide in him and his word abides in us. All of a sudden, the word of God begins to saturate our lives and understand that the word of God is life and health to those who find it. The word of God is truth. It sets captives free. The word of God is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. The word of God will not return void. God said he would confirm his word with signs and wonders following. This is what we need in the day that we live in. We need supernatural participation in our life through the spirit of God and the word of God. And then he said, as the Father has loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. The love of God will never fail. The love of God will never end, never give out, never give up. And so we abide in his love and his love abides in us. So this is the aspect of where great fruit, maximum production of fruit comes. And, and we've been learning about what the benefits are too. We've looked at Psalm 91. We, we began a few weeks ago to look at Psalm 91 because that's a psalm all about abiding and dwelling. And we're going to go back there and we're going to finish it up today. But before we do, let's pray. So if you bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. You said we're two or more gathered. You are here in the midst of us. But Father, you're always around us. Father, you, you live in us by your Spirit. But Father, we need your participation. We confess and proclaim, without you, we can do nothing. Father, that's not a, a, uh, a condition that's necessary. But if we, we abide in you, you can do everything you want to do in us and through us. The supernatural, amazing, abundant life that Jesus came to give us will be manifest to us and through us, to all those around us. So today, Father, we know that, that your word says we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Father, I, I ask you to use me to speak what you want to the people that you love, to empower, to impart what you have 
for us to be what you have for us to be and do what you have for us to do that is beyond our ability without you. But, Father, we're not without you. We're with you, and you're with us, and you're for us, and nothing can stand against us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, and we thank you for your life that will flow and flood abundantly in the lives of each person here and those online in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So in Psalm 91, we began in verse 1 and 2 just to look at uh, some very important aspects of this sets up the psalm. This psalm is an amazing psalm. I read this psalm on a regular basis because when I get overwhelmed, when I struggle, I look at the promises of God, the provisions of God that are in the psalm, but I have to recognize I need to qualify. And he tells us how to qualify because these, these promises, these provisions are absolutely amazing and supernatural. Nothing less than what we need in the day we live in. Because we can become overwhelmed. And God doesn't want you overwhelmed. He wants you to be able to overcome everything. Be overwhelmingly more than a conqueror in all things. And so in verse 1, we looked at this and we saw, he. this is a psalmist writing, God's directing, and he says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now that shadow is a defense. The Almighty is the most powerful God. But it says, He who dwells, dwells, dwells. It means to make a home. It, it, it means to be continuously connected and present. And sometimes we hear these things, and I hear them, and I even say, God, you know, I'm trying, but I, I, I don't know if I can really do this. But God's Word says we can do this. This is what God tells us to do. Now, we can't do it just in our own effort, but when we rely on God, He will enable us and empower us and impart to us what we need to be able to dwell, to abide, to be continuously connected so that we give ourselves more and more to God and make room for God to give himself more and more to us. Because stuff squeezes our attention away from God. You know, every one of us had a busy week this week. But you know, God was with each one of us every moment of this week. Everything we went through. And yet there are sometimes we go through what we go through and we're trying the best we can to figure out how to make this work and, and gather the resources and the strength and the courage and all of that. And sometimes it just isn't enough because we're trying to do it in ourselves, And we don't have to. God is right there. God made such a provision for each one of his people that nothing, Nothing could ever separate us from him, from his love. Romans 8, 28, Romans 8 tells us at the end of the chapter that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, and so we have the creator of the universe, almighty God, all-powerful God, without limits, not only around us but living in us so that we can access him all the time. And yet sometimes... We, we do the best we do. We, we extend ourselves as far as we can extend ourselves, and it's still not enough. But God is always more than enough. And if we'll just stop and pull back. Remember the, the, the challenge that, that I've given to us? Because I do it too. Every time you pull out your phone, before you address your phone, just take a moment to connect with God. Because we often 
connect with our phone. And if we would connect with God just half as much as we connect with our phone, our lives would be radically different. And I have found that my life is really changing because of that. I am creating a habit, a pattern in my life where I am periodically through the day because I'm not always looking at my phone, but I realize I need to check in with God. I need to just touch base with God. I need to just thank Him and be aware of Him and, and, and be intentional about reminding myself I'm not here alone. God's here. Not only is God here with me, God's here for me. And God wants to produce an abundant life in me and through me. And he's the only one that can do it. And so when we look at this, he who dwells in the secret place, we found out the secret place is the separated or the severed place. And it was when, it, when we learned about separated or severed, what does God want us and what do we need to be separated and severed from? The world, not only the world, the world's ways are not God's way. The, the kingdom of God is very different than what the world has taught us. So we need to put aside the ways we've learned in the world that are contrary to the word of God. And we also need to put aside our own perspectives, the things that we've learned, how we choose to do things, because there's a new and living way to walk in. If we walk in the same old ways we used to walk in before we came into the kingdom of God, they're not going to work in the kingdom. So we have to adopt and adapt to these new kingdom ways. So we need to put away the old ways and the world's ways of us relying on ourselves and guiding ourselves to relying on God and being guided by God and by, by his word so that we'll walk in the fullness of what he intended so our lives will increase in the blessing that he intended our lives to increase in not just so we'd be blessed he wants you blessed oh that was pathetic don't you want somebody to bless your life i want you to understand there's nobody that can bless you like god can and we're going to see that he does it every day but many times we just shoot past it because we've got a schedule to keep you know, so many times I allow my schedule, my planning to run my life instead of being guided by God. Now, we plan. The Bible says plan your ways, but let God direct your steps. And too many times we just plan our ways and we go with the plan. Plan the work and work the plan. But we work God out of the process. And when we leave God behind, we leave our greatest ally, our, our, the one that wants best for us, better than anybody else has ever wanted for us, and can do more for us. And yet we're going through life and we're doing life at the breakneck speed that we are, and eventually it catches up with us and we got to stop and we got to say, God, help! Maybe you don't, I do. And I've, I've had to do that, but I'm doing less and less because I'm relying more and more on God. I'm, I'm intentionally being aware that God is there and, and, and stopping and pausing and saying, Hey, Lord, I'm so grateful you're here with me. I'm so grateful that all the wisdom you have is available to me. If I'll just ask, you'll give it to me. But too many times I don't ask. But I'm asking more than ever before, and I'm asking less than I will ask in the future because we're creating these patterns. But he who dwells in the secret place, that place where we're, we're cut off, not cut off 
in the world. We're in the world. But we're not of this world. And God has for us to live uniquely in a way that we are revealing heaven on earth. God's not waiting for us to get to heaven to pour out everything on us. God's doing it now. And He wants our lives to be examples of what it can be like for people in heaven. Peace and joy, hope and health, victory and prosperity. That's all in heaven, but God wants heaven to invade earth. And the portal for that to happen is you. It's me. It's us as the body of Christ that they would see not only that we call ourselves Christians, but we really are Christ followers. When Jesus said to the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he's expecting us to do the same thing. If people have seen us, they've seen the Father and the Son. That's what's going to change people's lives. But this secret place, this severed place, we are cutting away those things so that we can commit to God even more, hold on to God more fully, give ourselves more completely to God that He can fill us more fully with Him. And then it says, I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. And so we, we have to begin to speak things. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so we live this severed life, but we have to speak the right, right talk, these words of life. We need to speak that He is our refuge, our refuge, our safe place, our place of security and stability. We run into Him. When things are going bad, we move towards Him. We don't move towards something else. We move towards God because God can do more than anyone or anything else. And then He is our fortress. That is our strong place, a stronghold, a castle. We are absolutely confident that he will protect us. And in him we trust. Because if not, what are we going to trust in? Just a question. What do you trust in today? Don't respond to me. But be, be courageous enough to be honest with yourself. Who do you trust in? Who do you call? Who do you turn to? What do you rely on? Because it's natural for us to rely on all the things we used to rely on. But understand, everything in this world is changing, but God never changes. When you rely on God, it brings a stability and a security to our lives that nothing else can. And that is part of what we should be as Christians. We should be the most secure, most peace-filled, most stable, most joy-filled people that anyone ever comes in contact with because our dependence is God and He never fails. He never fails. So we see this is where we're supposed to start and then this is followed by a series of provisions of God's protection. And we're not going to read them today because we've already read them. You should be reading them. I would encourage you to read this on a regular basis and see the protection that God provides when we dwell and abide in that secret place, that separated place. Now understand that God's not expecting perfection because we can't get given. But God's expecting progress where we're letting go of more of the world, more of our old ways, and we're holding on to Him more fully and tightly than ever before. And these, these protections that God's Word promises to those that abide and dwell 
are there. And then in verse 5, it tells us this. It tells us that we don't have to be afraid. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. Now, what this is telling us, we, we don't know exactly what the terror is by night, but you know, people have night terrors. You may be one of them. Or panic attacks. This fear is not of God. God, God has told us, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. But in this world, we see people filled with fear. They do not have sound minds. They are not aware that they are loved. And, and it brings an instability and an insecurity and a destructive aspect to their life. But will not be afraid by the terror by night. That means anything that comes in the dark, you don't have to be afraid of. And then it says, or the air, nor the, the arrow that flies by day. Night or dark, God's got you. Oh, man. I'm telling you, I, I, I take this and I say, God, this I did not expect. This I am not happy about, but I know you've got me. I didn't see it coming, but guess who did? God. And he always provides before our awareness of a need. You look throughout the Bible. Now, he doesn't always operate on our time schedule. But guess what? God created time, and he's not confined by time like you and I are. God doesn't have a, a watch on his wrist. He doesn't have a countdown clock. God knows because he creates times and seasons, and he knows what the perfect time is and the perfect way, and he does it in his perfect time. The Bible says God makes everything beautiful in his time. That means everything. God is going to work Everything for good. And we're going to see that as this all unfolds and God has his way. But then it goes on to say, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge and even the most high your dwelling place. So again, we had that in verse 1. Now we have it in verse 9. These are periodic reminders that we need to make God our dwelling place. Our refuge, we need to abide with God. We need to connect with God and stay connected. Don't let the busyness, don't let the distractions, don't let the demands of life disconnect us from God. Because it happens really easily, but it doesn't have to. We need to be intentional and say, okay, this is happening, but you know what, God? I just want to take a second, and I thank you for being with me. I thank you for caring about me. I thank you. Just this. Listen to this. Just this. I thank you that your plan is still intact. A plan for good and not for evil with a future and a hope. What would happen if, if the next time something went awry? You know, your plans tanked. And all of a sudden something came in that you didn't expect and you don't want and you don't think you deserve and you said, hold it, God's plan is still intact for me. It's for good and not for evil. It gives me a future and a hope. Just that moment. I think if you had your, your uh, Fitbit on and you could see your heart rate, you'd see your heart rate go, ooh, 
Why? Because you reference the Prince of Peace and his plan. Listen, you're in this world. Stuff is going to happen. But don't let it control you because you've already given that control to God. Let him continue to guide you and to guard you and to govern you so that you are not up and down and back and forth and all over the place like the enemy wants you to be. Because when we're that way, people look at us and they say, oh, you're a Christian, you're just like me. You act just like me, you react just like me. And we've all been guilty of that. But God's growing us up. He's taking us from glory to glory. And so after this verse 9, where we, we have made the Lord our refuge, the most high, our dwelling place, it again has all these amazing benefits and blessings that we read, we went through, you need to remind yourself of. And then we get to verse 14, 15, and 16, the last parts of this psalm. And there's a radical change that happens at that point of verse 14, where up to that point, the psalmist has been writing about what, what, what's going to happen, and then God kicks in. He gives a response. He answers, and he says, this is what I'm going to do. And starting in verse 14, 15, and 16, there are a series of God saying, I will. How many of you know when God says, I will, he will? God is not a man that he would lie. When he tells you he'll do something, he's going to do it. Now, he's not going to do it maybe the way you expect him to or you told him to. He's not going to do it in your time frame. But he will do it. He'll do what he said he will do. And sometimes, I just believe this. Sometimes we, we have a plan how God ought to do it and how, what he ought to use and when he ought to do it. And I believe sometimes he just does it another way to show us that he's God. Then we're not going to figure him out, but we've got to trust him. It's not about figuring out God. It's about trusting God. It's about entering into that rest of faith, relying and knowing, man, you know, if it doesn't happen my way, that's okay. Oh, some of you are like, what? What do you mean, not my way? I know you've lived your life not my way. If it's not my way, hit the highway. But understand this, your way has never been consistently the best, and God has always had the best. And that's why we need to let go of our way and let God have his way. Remember, Jesus didn't say, you're the way, you're the truth, you're the life. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And so we need to let God have his way. Take our hands off. You don't need to be in control. But God does. Don't just take your hands off the wheel and say, okay, hope it works. Waiting for the crash. Take your hands off and let God's hands come on to control our lives, to guide our lives, to govern our lives, to guard our lives. Because he does it the best. He does it perfectly. And so we're going to drop down to the last verse and we're going to work backwards. How many of you know when you read Hebrew, you don't read it left to right? You read it right to left. So we're going to do the opposite of what we usually do, go down in order. We're going to go backwards. And we're going to look at verse 16, and we're going to see what God says he's going to do and how amazing this is. God says, with long life, I will satisfy him. Now, it's one thing to have a long life. If you're not satisfied, it is torture. Isn't it? 
Living a long life isn't just great unless you're satisfied with your long life. And God says, I'm going to give you both. I'm going to give you a long life, and I'm going to give you satisfaction, fulfillment. You know, when you look around at the people around you today, most of the people are not fulfilled. They're not satisfied. Reminds me of a song. I'm not going there. But God does give satisfaction. God gives fulfillment. God causes our lives to be abundant. And so with long life, I will satisfy him. Him who? Well, we'll see. We'll see. And show him my salvation. Now, if you talk about salvation, a lot of times Christians think salvation is, I'm going to heaven. At the end of this life, I'm going to heaven. Not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. But I want you to know, you're waiting an awful long time to experience what God wants you to experience now. God wants you to experience salvation right now. Eternal life right now. Eternal life doesn't come when this life ends. It comes when Jesus comes. And in that moment that Jesus comes into our lives, we can begin to experience all that heaven has to offer. I know right now, I am very aware. Some of you are like, what? You mean I don't have to wait? Yeah, it's not just this get out of hell free. It is heaven wants to break out and through your life here in a fallen world. Where some people who are still on their way to hell are going to get a glimpse of heaven. A glimpse of abundant life a glimpse of love, a glimpse of peace, an experience of being around someone who is filled with the joy of the Lord, which strengthens them in the most difficult times. This is why we're still here. If it was all about us getting to heaven, the moment we receive Christ as Lord, we'd be gone. But God had a greater plan that wasn't just about us. God has given us this incredible, amazing, awesome privilege, honor, and opportunity to expose other people who don't know about Jesus to what it's like to have Jesus live in us by His Spirit. To see the difference it makes in a fallen world that is saturated with sin and fear and instability, to see a person walking in peace and in love and in joy and security and stability, in patience and kindness and generosity. And it's not just an event, it's a lifestyle. It's what God has. It's always been what God has. But God says, I will with long life satisfy him and I'll show him my salvation. Now, in verse 15, just go back to that, John. I'm sorry. When, when we talk about salvation, that word salvation means to be saved, but it also means to be delivered. It means to be rescued. It means victory, prosperity, help, health, and to do well. And this isn't going to be up here, but in Psalm 68, verse 19, the Bible tells us this. 
Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. So the God of our salvation, the God who gives us salvation, who shows us salvation daily, daily loads us with benefits. But guess what happens? Because we're so busy, because we're so distracted, because we're not so aware and connected and abiding and dwelling with God, It's kind of like the husband or wife that has breakfast waiting for them, but they're so busy, they run past breakfast to get out to where they have to go, and they miss the provision right there. We are so busy running off to do what we have to do, and we don't have that time to pause and recognize and receive. God's like, I've got these benefits for you today, and we're like, hey, see ya. And God's like, no, because he's not going to force it on us. He's not going to throw it at us. He's going to give it to us, but we have to be willing to receive it. Well, what are they? I don't know what you need, but guess who knows what you need? And he's going to load you with the benefits daily, 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 daily. You know, some of you have devotions, morning devotions, and that's a great thing. But don't be in such a routine that you routine God out of it. We give the word for you today so that every, every day, and I confess, I don't read it. I haven't read it every day. Sometimes I read it at night. Sometimes I don't read it at all, and I have to catch up. But I can tell you more times than not, when I haven't read it and I go back and read what I missed, I could have used that. Man, that was, that was for me, and I ran past the benefit. And if I do it with something as simple as the word for you today, how many more benefits does he have for me? Then I'm like, see ya. But guess what? When things don't go the way I planned or I expected or I wanted, all of a sudden I got more than enough time to say, hey, God, where are you? What are you doing? Well, I was back here. I had this for you. Do you want it now? Yeah, but why should I have to go through the torment and the trouble that I go through and stress about it when he's going to load me with what I need before I ever run into it? He is Jehovah Jireh. Now, what do you know that that name means? Anybody? Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's a good kind of rhymey thing. But listen, here's what it actually means. The God who provides for the need before the need is ever known by us. Because he always knows your needs. And God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's got you. He's got you covered. He's got you taken care of. But you got to get him. You got to hold on to him. You've got to be open to receive from him, not looking for everything and everyone else to give you what you need because only God can do that. And that's why we need to abide. We need to dwell. And he says, with long life, I'll satisfy you and show you my salvation. Now, what precedes this, in verse 15, he says this. Remember, reading this backwards, this builds on it, but we wanted to start with the best first. And he says, he shall call upon me. It's talking about any one of us who chooses to dwell 
in that secret place, chooses to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He'll call upon me. How many of you have called people this week and they didn't answer? You got voicemail, right? It's like, oh, man, I don't want to leave. I need to talk to you. All right. Hey, call me back. I'm, I'm waiting. And no call. You're like, come on. Come on. I need to talk to you. God never, your call never goes to voicemail. They'll call upon me. He'll call upon me, and I will answer him. Never busy, never voicemail, no matter how many thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are calling upon God. He answers every one. <laughs> that is... That is I don't know how he does it, but he does. He will not tell you that he'll do something that he won't do. But listen, you got to stop. You got to listen. You got to pause. Be attentive because that's what he's saying. He shall call upon me. And this is, this is part of the I wills. The I wills. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. And you can count on him. I will answer him. All right? That phrase, I will answer him, means I will be attentive to respond. God's not just listening and saying, oh, that's a tough one. Good luck. <laughs> Why? Because we call upon him. We call upon him. But close your eyes for a second. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to respond outwardly. I just want you to be honest. Be honest with yourself. Who do you call? Who do you call on when you want to celebrate something? Who do you call on when you struggle with something? Because understand, as a Christian, the first person we should call out to when we're celebrating is God because he did it. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And when we're struggling, we need to call out to him first because he can do it. But who do you really call on? And, and we all struggle here. You can open your eyes. We all struggle here because we've gotten into patterns and habits of who we really depend on, who we really trust in, who we call first. Remember, remember the movie, Who Are You Going to Call? Oh, some of you aren't old enough, but some of you are. <laughs> yeah, Ghostbusters. We're not calling Ghostbusters. We're calling the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're calling Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, the universe seen and unseen, the God whom all things are possible. Or you can call whoever you think will meet your need, but they will never do it like God can. And that's why we need to call upon him. He should call upon me. Oh, my gosh. Even the fact that you and I have an audience with God, God's listening for you. That is crazy. But it's true. He wants to hear from you. We need to call on him. And he'll answer. He'll, 
Be attentive to respond. But understand, he's not going to do what you want him to do. He's going to do. If we call on him, we need to let him be God. He's going to do the best thing for your life. But how many of you know sometimes it doesn't look like the best? Daniel went to the lion's den. didn't look like the best, but it was. Don't be afraid. God's with you. Let him, let him have his way. He's got a bigger plan in place that we don't see. And it's about impacting more people than just us. God wants our lives to be abundant. But God wants other people to know the abundant life too. And it's through us going through things that they watch as God guides. And we make it through, not just dragging through, but overwhelmingly more than conquerors. He'll call upon me. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver and honor him. Again, this is, this is transformational. When we're in trouble, when something happens, when the wheels fall off, don't panic. I know our natural way is to react. And we should be getting better in that because we're realizing that we're not in this alone. God's there. And with God, what's possible? That is absolutely the right answer. But it's more than knowing the answer. It's about believing what the Word of God says. Believing that it's possible. And God's going to give you everything that pertains to life and godliness. You're in a fallen world. You're going to have battles, but you're not alone in them. You don't have to fight alone. You don't have to be strong just in yourself. But I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. See these I wills? I will answer. I will be with. I will deliver. I will honor. This is what God said he's going to do. He'll do it if we'll let him. If we'll just let him begin to guide us and govern us and guard us instead of us trying to do all this ourselves. I will deliver him and honor him. Now, this word deliver means to bring into a secure place, to lift, to carry, and it also means to bring through. You know, when we hear deliver, we think God's going to just pull, pick me up and carry me off and I'm going to be out of it. None of that is going to continue to happen. But that's not the way God always does it. God doesn't always just move all the problems away. Sometimes they're right there and we continue to get strengthened to go through. And the reason why is if God just picked us up and pulled us out and set us in a place that was unlike what we were in, We'd never learn. We'd never grow. But when God, when we trust God and He delivers us through, not out of, through, and more times than not, I see God delivering people through. He imparts and empowers to them what they need to bear up in it. That's what it says in the New Testament. That He'll make a way of escape. All right, and we think escape, I'm out of here. But the Scripture goes on to say, to bear up in it. Well, why would he do that? That's not an escape. Yeah, it's just not at the speed or the way you want it, but it's the way he wants it. Because what happens when we go through, when we bear up in it, 
We're not looking over our shoulder wondering, is that going to come at me again? Because we know God just took us through that. And if he took us through that back there, he'll take us through the next time we face it. And we won't face it the way we faced it the last time. The last time we faced it, we were like, ah, help. And the next time we face it, we're going to be like, really? God just took care of that back there. He'll do it again. He doesn't change. And we get stronger. We get more secure. We get more confident. And not only does that happen with us, what happens around us is the people that are watching us, they saw us when that first situation came and we were like, oh, no. And we melted down and freaked out. And then when they see another one facing us, and it's even bigger, and we're like, no worries. No problem. They're like, what happened to you? I just know who's with me. I know who's for me. I know that he is not going to forsake me, but he is going to cause me as I depend on Him, as I abide in Him, as I dwell with Him, He's going to cause me to be more than a conqueror. And so I'm entering into the rest of faith. I'm trusting Him because He's trustworthy and He's faithful. And He is. And, and not only will He do that, it says that He will honor you. What's that about? Well, it's about throwing a party. But when you honor somebody, you acknowledge who they are, what they've done. God's going to honor you. As he, as he brings you through things, He's going to honor you. He's going to say, hey, look at, look, at, look at Judy. Look at what she's been through and look at how she's gone through it. But it's not for everybody else in the world. You may even not be known by the world. But that doesn't matter. You're known, number one, by God. That's the most important thing. You need to know who you are. And the third thing you need to realize is you need to be known by the enemy. <sighs> I was hoping to stay off his radar. No, you want to be front and center, not going after him, but that he knows who you are because you know who you are. Because God's honored you. He's acknowledged who you are. You're a child of the Most High God. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're the head, not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're blessed in the city and blessed in the field. You're overwhelmingly more than a conqueror. Because if you don't know who you are, the enemy's going to take advantage of that. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, there were, Paul had been delivering, setting captives free of demonic influence. And there were some Jews that were, were watching, some young boys that were the sons of the, the uh, high priest, the Jewish high priest, Sceva. And so they decided they were going to do what Paul was doing because it was spectacular. Don't mess with what you don't need to mess with. Just do what God has for you to do. And so they began to deliver this person. And they, they started out and they said, we adjure you, we address you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Oof, bad move. Why, doesn't Jesus have enough? Yeah, he's got enough. Wasn't Paul enough? Yeah, he's enough. But you don't know who you are. 
And, and the, the demonic spirit spoke back to him and said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, who are you? And they couldn't come up with an answer. You better know who you are. God's going to honor you. And when God honors you, when he brings you through and honors you for going through, the enemy's going to know who you are and he's not going not to come after you as often as he can or he is going to come with very, very questionable intentions because he's not sure he's going to get inroads. Because what happened to these guys? Seven sons of Sceva? Demonic spirit jumped on them, tore their clothes off, beat them, and they ran naked down the road. Is that true? It's in the Bible. That's why you don't mess with what you don't need to mess with. Whatever God has for you to do, do it. But know who you are. Know who he is. And know that your enemy is defeated. God will honor you. And you need to recognize what he's honoring you for. It's not because we're so great, but because he's been able to be so great in our lives. That's why we submit ourselves to God. Then we can resist the enemy and he flees. It's not about us. It's about him. It's always about him. Amen? And in verse 14, this is what started it off, where God begins to speak after hearing what the psalmist said to those of us that will abide and dwell. God says, because, because he, who, any one of us that chooses to abide and to dwell with God, in that secret, separated, severed place, because he has set his love upon me. Who do you love? I mean, really, who do you love? Who is the priority in your life? That is absolutely the right answer, but our lives show who we love. If we love God, Jesus said in John chapter 15, if you love me, you keep my commands. If we love God, we're going to make God our priority. Jesus is going to have the preeminence. He's going to be first. Nothing else is going to take that place. As much as things try to get in that place of first, God is in that place of first. Husbands, your wives aren't first. They're second. Wives, your husbands aren't first, they're second. Single people, you're not first, no one else is first, God is first. In all of our lives, we're all on the same level playing field that God is first. And then we choose who we want to put in second and third and fourth place. But no one should ever take that first place because without God being in the first place, Without us being connected and abiding and dwelling, continuing to give ourselves to God, receiving Him, Himself given to us, we can't be the person we need to be in any other relationship we have in life. Because all we'll do is give our best, and that's not what God wants. God wants us to give His best. And as we receive from God, then we can be... We can be the husbands to our wives that God has for us to be because we're connected with Him. We can be the wives to our husbands because we're connected to Him. We can be the friends and the family that we are supposed to be because we're connected to Him. It all comes from Him. Because He has set His love upon me, 
Again, he says, I'll deliver. I will rescue. I will provide for you to be able to go through and bear up and have victory. And I will set him on high. Set him on high. He will set him on high. That phrase, set him on high. As I looked it up, it says to be lifted, to be carried, to be held in a lofty, inaccessible, safe, strong, secure place defended. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Because he has known my name. You know, a lot of people pray. I've gone to a lot of different functions and, and uh, gatherings and people are praying in God's name. Well, what God? There are a lot of people that pray to a lot of different gods. But you better know who you're praying to and who he is. Because when you know his name, because names in the Bible meant something. We call our kids whatever we call them because we think it's, it's a good name for them. But every name in the Bible, it's there because it indicates either a character of that person or something of their life. It wasn't just arbitrary. It was specific. And God has names. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides for the need before the need is ever known. If you know he's Jehovah Jireh, the moment you come up on a situation that you find yourself in need, you can say, you know what? I didn't know this, but my God who loves me and I love him is provided for this need. I just have to recognize it. Remember when, when Jesus told the disciples you need to feed the thousands of people? Well, he wasn't asking them what they had because he didn't know. He wanted to see if they knew what was in their midst. Well, what do we have? Uh, we don't have anything but a little boy's lunch. See, they had discounted it. They didn't recognize God's provision because it didn't look like enough. But with God, anything is more than enough. And so when they gave it to Jesus, Jesus looked up. He blessed it and broke it and gave it, and it fed thousands of people. Impossible. Not with God. With God, all things are possible. And so that's where we need to recognize who he is. He is the God that supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He is Jehovah Rapha. He's the God that heals you. I'm not saying you don't go to doctors, but you better go to the doctor looking at Jehovah Rapha that will work through that doctor or through whatever it is. Because the only healing that ever comes is from God. He is the source of healing. God may use doctors, may use a supernatural miracle, may use some medications. Whatever it is, God is the foundation of healing, and he always will be. Jehovah Shalom. Yeah, the God of peace, but it doesn't just mean peace. I'm, I'm not even going to go through the full definition, but... It's about prosperity. It's about abundance. And this is who he is. And you can have peace no matter what's going on. What storm is raging around you or coming at you? He'll be big enough in you that you will never lose that peace as long as you and I abide and hold on to him. I would ask, 
please, this week, read through this whole psalm again. See what he's said. See what comes from abiding and dwelling. Just connecting with God, staying present with God. Even though we've got our lives to live, God is the life that we have. I'd like your heads bowed, eyes closed. This is available to everyone. God wants every human being in this fallen, broken world to be able to experience abundant life, to be able to experience heaven on earth, to be able to not just experience it, but also reveal it as we live it to the people around us. And maybe you're somebody who's been watching who's been questioning and wondering, you know, what's this all about? I, 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 I see things that are different, but I, I don't have it. It's not it, it's Him. It's Jesus. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so today, if you have not, recognize what Jesus did. He died on the cross to pay the price for your sin and make a way back to your heavenly Father to cause you to come home where you have always been loved, always been wanted, had every provision for. But you haven't recognized and you haven't received, repented of our sin and received Christ as Lord. If that's you, whether you're here or you're online, I'm going to invite you to pray with me today. We're going to pray together. But as you pray, pray not with me, but pray to the God that loves you so much He gave His only Son. Let's pray this. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. Today, Father, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I repent. I turn away from running my own life and turn to You and I give You, Lord, my life. Come into my life Jesus, be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for cleansing me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Now, if you prayed that here today for the first time, or if you recommitted your life, let somebody know. If you prayed online, let us know. We want to be able to pray for you. Just let us know. Go to reslifeny.org. Scroll down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, let us know your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us some contact information. God is so good, isn't he? Would you stand up? God has a great week for you. But guess what? He knows that there's an opposition. And he's gone ahead of you to prepare the way. He is going to be your rear guard. He is going to uphold you with His right hand of righteousness. That's His hand of blessing. God wants to load you daily with benefits.
Are we going to pause long enough to recognize and receive the benefits of God before we go tearing off into our day? I hope so. But I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each one of your children. I thank you for your presence with them, those that are here, those that are online, that you never leave us. You've made a way that nothing can separate us from you. So, Father, help us. Help us to be more aware. We sang this in the beginning of service. More aware of your presence. Help us to be led by your Spirit and filled and overflowed with your Spirit. That, Father, that peace and joy, that love, that patience and kindness and generosity, that faithfulness, self-control, Father, that would be very evident in our lives and be an anomaly in our society. That people would be drawn to Christ in us as we let Him have His way. And Father, as, as we see You do what only You can do, we'll be very careful to give You all the praise and the glory and the honor always and forever. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Have a great week.